Welcome to the Meltzone podcast from May 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 2nd, 2020. Uh, this is episode 34, and I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on today's episode, yeah, we are talking about how I, that I finally got married, even in these special times. Uh, Tom optimized his existing CNC router to uh, enable it to cut aluminum. And he's going to tell us what he did there. I did a lot of tool changing and even a bit of tool dropping on my E3D tool changer over the last couple of weeks. We have a small correction about who is injection molding uh, yeah, face shields over in the US. On the news, uh, yeah, Adrian Boyer has released a proposal about a continuous unattended 3D printing system where he basically puts a couple of solenoids below the printing bed and uses them to, to hold it in place and also heat it up. Then uh, Tesla supposedly uses 3D printing as a, well, quick fix to... Uh, fix a couple of problems on their Model Y, probably uh, in order to have a stopgap. Um, then, sorry, <laughs> got a little bit confused. <laughs> then uh, the Munich Fab Lab is working on an open source metal 3D printer that can use, uh, yeah, MIM pellets, and uh, extrude them in a similar way as BASF's ultrafuse material into a green part that you can later center, but at a lower price and open source. Very nice. Um, in further topics this week, this 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 new setup is is kind of weird. Uh, because of that is weird delays. In further news, uh, the US Army has created a new type of 3D printing filament that uses ABS and polycarbonate, but in a way that is not typically done that way. Uh, Printabot, you guys know them. They were gone for a while. Printabot are at least back on track on getting back on track. And we tried to briefly talk about PTFE 3D printing by 3M. We failed to talk about it briefly. We talk about it uh, somewhat extensively. But uh, yeah, questions as always sent in by you guys. Uh, the food 3D printers that have been passed around, do they actually work? Are they actually something that contributes to the world? To use the words of Dale who asked this one, uh, our opinion on the new nozzle extensions, long nozzles by nonplanet.xyz and whether we are considering building a custom or a DIY 3D printer off of plans available from Thingiverse like the Hypercube and why we haven't done so already. Also this week, like I said, is a bit of a different setup. This is a live streaming from Stefan to me. So if you see some technical glitches, I'm sorry for that. Uh, we're still figuring things out, but because this is hopefully something that is way easier to produce for us, um, it's gonna make our lives much easier and it's gonna make producing these episodes a lot more convenient so we can pump out more of them and you know waste less time on editing and do more of the fun stuff like produce these videos or these these podcast episodes and regular videos so yeah thanks for sticking through this with us um if quality is bad we'll be better next week Stefan, congratulations on getting married this thank is, you Tom. 
special times how how did how did it go did was it was it enjoyable <laughs> so yeah I, i i was successful um it was more enjoyable as i thought because like the week before we got married we actually were told that we were only able to go like just my wife and i into the standesamt what's the english name for that again i can't remember um <laughs> People so just yeah two days before we had uh well b before the wedding happened we called them again and just asked whether we are still able to get married or if something changed again they told us yeah and you will also be able to uh yeah come uh with uh, 10 people if we are going like into the oh. big ceremony room so it was kind of nice so our best man and best best woman i don't know how, how you actually said but yeah they were able yeah. to join us our parents were able to join us um our um brothers were able to join us and it was really nice uh yeah we had well we didn't have a wedding reception but still uh sure? weather was nice uh <laughs> i I was well. Our wedding car was my 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 old Vespa, so we did a, a small <laughs> nice. tour after we got married, and our friends were just standing next to the road, like every kilometer or something like that, and and greeting us, <laughs> and uh, actually even doing fireworks or or playing the violin or something like that, which was really nice. So yeah, it that's nice. We yeah. didn't have a big party, but so, it, it still was enjoyable. Yeah, so honeymoon all done and, and taken care of. Uh, I, I saw you posted some videos of uh, taking care of the chickens. That's your <laughs> that's your honeymoon from home right now, that's right? That's basically our honeymoon. I'm so happy that we went yeah. to uh, Japan Japan last year uh, because yeah. I don't know when such a big trip will be possible again. So yeah, married. That's that's good. Happy for happy. you. Happy. Thank you. I'm also happy. <laughs> that we were able to that to do that and yeah probably like a real honeymoon or just going somewhere for for a weekend into a nice hotel or something like that maybe it's still going to be we are still going to be able to do that at some point this later this year maybe when things are not yeah. that critical anymore we'll see uh but yeah as you just said we really have it nice around the house so we can also enjoy ourselves right here Yeah, because you guys aren't living in the big city where you, you're literally locked into like a, a 500 square foot apartment no. and you know, just have one window to look yeah. out. That's one of the nice things of living yeah. out in the countryside. You're not really yeah. affected by, by this entire but shutdown. But also thing. like shutdown, it's, it's not totally lifted for you, but do hardware stores, are hardware stores again open in Bavaria? I think I think they've been open for a week or two okay. now. So hardware stores are, are, I guess, a bit more essential now, or at least considered more okay. essential. Um, but like stores that are, well, it, it started out with stores under 800 square meters, so about 8,000 square foot uh, of just sales area uh, were allowed to open up. But I guess that was not quite that legal. So larger stores now have to limit their, their size to be at 800 square meters, and then they can open up as well. Um, yeah, so step by step, it's it's going back to normality. I mean, 
it's nice that stuff's opening back <laughs> up, but on, at the same time, I'm I'm just afraid that we're gonna have like wave two that's uh, actually gonna push our our healthcare system to the capacity at this. Yeah, time. we'll see. Like, at at least next time. I think for many, is just nice to have a little bit more freedom again. And since we all need to, well, are maybe a little bit more prepared, we need to wear masks, and there is disinfectant available at least in many stores. Maybe that just yeah. slows down everything a little bit, and uh, yeah, it's better than nothing. Better than nothing. But yeah, it's not it's not perfect security yet. Yeah. Um, but anyways, let's. I mean, you guys have been getting enough of, of that topic already. Uh, something else that, that happened today is actually my phone died. So uh, please excuse the, uh, the the Google Assistant noise just now. Uh, my my Xiaomi Mi Nine T just the, the screen just went black and didn't. Since ever since to this morning, eleven thirty, it just the screen was black. Phone's still working, but the screen doesn't doesn't display anything. So, I'm I'm now on a on my old G seven again. Um, tech, <laughs> yeah, it's annoying. But if if you're still able to retrieve your data, that's... I I need my my Google Authenticator stuff. <laughs> that's that's the one thing that's going to be a pain to. Well, what's actually the Google Authenticator? It's the one-time uh, passwords or the one-time ah, keys, the okay. six-digit codes. So two-factor authentication. Okay. and uh, uh, Which everyone should be using if they can. <laughs> <laughs> and you are only able to retrieve them if your phone is working. Okay. Yeah. But how, how could you do something I like mean, that? Can you do screen mirroring over USB? Or how, how could you do that without a working screen? That's... I th I think somewhere I should have like one of those USB graphics cards technically where it's just a USB to HDMI okay. converter but it's, a, it's a, an entire graphics card in there. I'm hoping that will work just hooked up over <laughs> USB-C um, with a bunch of adapters in between. Uh, I'll have to see but otherwise I'll have to and, and that's actually one of the most painful things to do mm -hmm. if you're moving from one phone to the to another one. It's just all those one-time uh, or, or Google Authenticator setups, it's, yeah, because you have to go into recovery or, or go into every single sign-on and disable it and re-enable it. And, uh. Yeah, and the thing is, even though your phone is still on the warranty, if you send it in for repair, there is a very high possibility that all of your data is going to be gone if you get it back. Well, they're probably just going to swap it, Okay, if yeah. anything. I'm I'm thinking that's that's all that's going to happen because repairing something that swapping the screen like that's a bunch of labor and the screen it's an OLED screen is not that cheap either. Yeah. But actually my yeah. OnePlus I think 3 died 2 or 3 years ago and I sent it in to one of the OnePlus repair stations I think that is located in Poland. UPS picked it up, they repaired it in Poland and I had it back like 4 days later and they really just um, swapped the mainboard on my phone, so they they okay. supposedly are doing it if 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 it's worth uh, doing. We will see. Yeah, um, I did buy the D ninety three Amazon, so I talked to one of the qualified technicians who first of all suggested I put the phone into recovery mode, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, but I'm not seeing anything. <laughs> uh, so I right I I did what they suggested. Right now, I don't know what state the phone is in. Um, but yeah, it, it ain't working. No. We'll see. It's nine months old, so it should still be covered on the warranty. <laughs> um, and un unlike in the US, we actually have, we typically have two years of warranty. US has like 30 days or 14 days typically. If you don't get Apple Care. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah <laughs> but that, that, that's like one of the things that that just shouldn't happen like if you if you have a phone that you rely on and for me especially when i'm traveling um i've got my tickets on there i've got uh my google maps i've got all my, my mm -hmm. planning on there if if that just dies out yeah. on the road like i'm, I'm screwed yeah. well i mean i'm not totally screwed but it's just gonna be a pain from there on out. well just just one year ago i really started having all of my flight tickets and and things like that for for business trips on my phone and not anymore a a physical copy of it in yeah. somewhere in my bag and at first i really got anxiety because uh i always was scared that my battery is running out um but i don't know uh we were getting more and more used to that we 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 pay with our phone we have our tickets yeah. on our phone and stuff like that and if they then break down we are screwed <laughs> It's just a single point of failure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, usually usually when I'm out traveling, I, I do bring a laptop just so I can at least have my emails there if I find Wi-Fi somewhere. Um, and that should take care of most of the stuff. But so, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's actually going to happen if you are at your terminal, at your gate, and your phone dies. Will they just print out a, a ticket or... We've we've had that happen in, in uh, Chicago, right? When we were flying back, they, they actually printed us uh, a new boarding pass. Did they? But the, wasn't it like, hey, you, you can't actually use the digital boarding pass in the States if you're flying internationally? It I was some, can't some, remember something anymore. Like okay, that. Could, could be the case. Yeah, can't remember it anymore. We were, we were waiting yeah. at the gate uh, to have that printed. <laughs> so yeah, that, that if you have your passport, I think at least flight tickets and stuff is something that can be figured yeah. out. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So you actually locked yourself in your in your studio, and uh, you were playing around with your CNC router. The basement. Basement. Ah, well, <laughs> no. so so the the, the, yeah. the dirty work is happening in your basement still, and not in your studio. Yeah. So basically, the the three rooms that we have to talk about here. So first of all, the studio here this is a separate building, separate location to my former studio. Uh, and the former studio is one room over in the basement of uh, of where I live, and that 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 workshop room where I have my CNC is actually studio number one. If you go all the way back, the very first setup you see, like camera looking that way, and to the left behind it is where my CNC corner is okay. right now. So there's there used to be um, six thousand liters worth of heating oil in there. <laughs> um, we took down the wall, and there's now an, an extra little cubby there. That used to be the printer cave and now it's CNC and I think I'll put my, my mini lathe in there as well. So yeah, I've been working on CNC stuff. I've working I've been working on CNC stuff. I have to repeat that twice because it's a different word in those sentences. Yeah, the, the CNC, S-I-E-N-C, whatever, I uh mill. This is actually the, the CNC CNC router that is in the wooden box with those v-shaped aluminum extrusions yes okay. exactly exactly um so you had that for so, quite a while like for two years or something like that yes yes and i've, I've actually not been using it much because it was always like oh, this is this is kind of inconvenient to use and it's not that good of a machine and um i did have the mendel max that was kind of converted to a mill. I, that, I did give that to a friend and whenever I needed something milled, I'd just say, hey, you, you mill that. <laughs> um, but now I did I did upgrade this CNC slightly. I did put some work holding in it um, because all the, the bed, it's, it's kind of built like a 3D printer, more or less. Uh, the moving bed was just a flat piece of Delrin 
uh, no waste board, no ways to fix mm -hmm. anything to that. So you had to tape everything down, which wasn't very secure. Um, I added threads to that. I put a waste board on it. The end connectors that hold those v-shaped rails into the frame um i upgraded those to have two more mounting holes so they don't twist mm -hmm. as easily um yeah just a, a bunch of things i tried a, a bunch of different router bits and i can now cut aluminum cool um shut up phone <laughs> i don't know how much of that you guys are going to be able to see and if the camera is going to focus probably not and if you guys are listening in audio only then you're not going to see it anyways but yeah it does cut aluminum and i don't mean just smear it okay. around maybe i'll get it to focus if i move slowly i don't just mean smear it around but actually cut and this is like the cheapest rolled aluminum uh stock you can get which is it's it's like um it's like caramel basically okay. caramel for your for your cnc and it's just uh, not happy so what what kind but it cuts it cuts well what, what kind of a router bit and what kind of a recipe have you been using so um the the guys from from cnc uh, cnc the bob company not italian uh, the guys though bob. yeah um they've actually sent me a single flute eighth inch uh router bit bit um very nice bit they sent me two. I don't want to use that for tuning stuff in because I'm just going to break it. So I've been using a cheap single flute eighth inch bit. Um, and basically, if you, if you go to AliExpress and you say, hey, eighth inch single flute, that's what's going to come up. And that has actually been cutting really well. I've been running it at around 15,000 RPM, okay. uh, 600 linear millimeters a minute, uh, and about a 0.5 millimeter Depth of cut. Uh, optimal load. Okay. No, okay. no, depth of cut like two millimeters okay. and 0.5 optimal load on, on like adapters. Cool. So, I mean, it cuts. It's it's a, it's a real. I'm look. I'm a real boy. It's a real CNC. <laughs> um, I think as it's as little of a CNC as you can get by with. Um, I think it's it, it's it's intended to be comparable to the Shapeo, not the Shapeoco, but the same guys, the Nomad. Yeah. Um, it's a very similar form factor. I think very similar capability. It cuts. It's not it's not the most comfortable setup, but you can make aluminum <laughs> parts with it. Um, but you, yeah, but 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 where basically the things that were, in your opinion, most important to get it working properly, was it really just stiffening everything up? Yeah, stiffening stuff up because you, you could really see um so with those V profiles, mm. I think they're like 60 by 60 or something if you just took your hands and slightly pressed mm. on it you could see that rotate by like one or two degrees okay. and if you have the router stick out no that's like two or three millimeters of deflection just with like slightly okay. pushing on it that helped a lot and yeah just getting the the feeds tuned mm -hmm. in to to a point where, where they're actually reasonable okay. but of course that that's way easier to do if you know the rest of, of, of your okay. machine isn't like acting up and, and ruining everything yeah. are, are we going to see um, something from your cnc your new experience yes yes next week cool. next week so no no video upload this week um but there will be a uh basically a rundown of, of what i did and what i did to get it working cool uh this coming friday cool looking forward to <laughs> very nice yeah uh, we uh, don't don't forget we still have that steel CNC project thing that we should maybe talk about at yeah, some point. I think you already started, and 
tried a couple of things out <laughs> in your CNC, CNC, something, something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I do want to get, I do want to get a feel of like how much rigidity you actually need to cut through stuff reliably. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the one of the things I'm I'm doing with the CNC, CNC. Um, just seeing okay how stiff how rigid does it actually have to be to cut aluminum reasonably um and then i might just put a piece of steel on there and see if it works and how slow i have to go mm. and how much more i have to overbuild it so do you actually know how yeah. much the cnc cnc is they're not making it ah, anymore. they're not making it so okay. it was discontinued i think in september last year um they now have the long mill which is a, a larger mill mm -hmm. Um, I think they, I think it does scale up to to like plywood okay. size or one sheet of plywood or something. So yeah, so, different concept, different mill. Okay, so more something that you know from um, the Stepcraft CNCs, the Go CNCs, the uh, how are they, uh, the Shipoko and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I think the long mill is more along the lines of, of something oh. like a Shepoko capabilities wise. Um the Stepcraft and and Pasa and all those mm -hmm. I think are are a bit stronger okay. and a bit more capable than, than that. So lots of X and so, Y uh travel but little Z yeah. travel. So more for yeah, really cutting so, just sheet parts, plywood pieces. Wood. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Cool. Um, I think that that's really where it's where it's uh where it's happy yeah. so yeah that's that's been my week uh what have you been up to <laughs> i'm well currently i'm i'm finally finishing uh or at least working on my uh like beginner 3d printer review of the ender 3 pro and the alpha ysu 30 pro because i want to get that out for for ages um have have creality offered to send you the the what is it the six something yes they the new yes they did and okay. i was kind of confused because they said yeah it's available now and then i then i've seen uh no it's not available now they they kind of want to do a kickstarter on it yeah i think we've we've briefly covered that in one of the previous episodes but yeah it's 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 on Kickstarter, and I think shipping is some sometime mid this year. But of course, with everything going on, that schedule might change. Is it already on Kickstarter? Uh, I I don't know. I've I've not looked Has into it. Is it called uh, CR six CR CR six SE? Well, it is an interesting yeah. machine. Or well, one feature is really interesting, and that is the uh, bed leveling with the strain gauge sensor where you directly yeah. fsr is for sensitive resistors yeah. right that is really interesting because we have seen that on delta printers with the yeah. duet effector hat thing for two years or something like that which is really cool because you really are probing the bad but we haven't seen it a lot in 3d printers besides i think the ultimaker that also uses strain gauges or an inductive probe how does I think the Ultimaker uses an inductive probe that measures I, something in the print head when the nozzle touches the bed? It yeah yeah. Um, Ultimaker does something really interesting, but we the, the, there are two different things that that we're actually seeing. One is the um, 
and it's two different uh, two different parts as well. One is the strain gauges that are used on something like the do it effector head, um, but the other one where you have those those traces and you're basically stretching the traces and, and changing the resistance that way. But the other one is the force sensitive resistor that is like those little one centimeter diameter clear, basically like film yes. buttons. Um, those. And I'm not sure if, if Creality is using those just under the bed or if they're actually using no, strain actually, gauges. No, actually, well, I have seen that and they actually fix the um, the the cooling block of the hot end. They fix that to a cantilevered, like like okay. the thing that you see in a scale, to an arm that has a strain gauge applied to it so that it really okay. measures the force that is acting on the nozzle itself, which is kind of nice. I, I gotta give that to them if it's if it's working. You still need to well be sure that your nozzle is clean and and things like that. But I think this is again a nice step into the right direction. Otherwise, it's the Nendo three with a nicer screen. As far as yeah, I, can I was see. gonna say it does have a color touchscreen yeah. on it. Well, we'll have to see. Yeah, uh, I gotta look into that when I, I, yeah. I actually grab one for review. But uh, the, the entire Kickstarter thing is is mm. very strange. The to Kickstarter me. hasn't launched yet. It will launch on May the sixth. So yeah. Okay, so I guess they're planning on on producing them now and having them ready for delivery once the Kickstarter is over. I don't know. So well, they're basically just using the Kickstarter as as a marketing campaign. It's not yeah. for really getting funding. I think Reality doesn't need that. No, no. Right. Um, but getting back on topic, uh, you've been you've been tool changing. I've been yeah. tool changing in the CNC <laughs> by hand. You've been tool changing automatically. Yeah. So uh, I think oh, it was already I think three weeks ago that I finally finished my tool changer with all of the four tool heads. And it has been quite a project. <laughs> we have already talked about that um, last time that I just needed to get used to working with Duet. Um, the tool changer itself is quite of a complex system because you have four individual tool heads. Um, and you really need to dig deeply in how is it working with tool offsets and things like that. But oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, tool offsets on CNC. <laughs> well, that's, that's that's its own pile of uh, yeah. something <laughs> that I'm waiting. But for yeah, as well. I, I got it yeah. working, and I printed like a ton of like a ton of settlers of. Catan um, hexagon playing pieces tile, tiles. tiles yeah, yeah. Um, this this was actually one of the things I, I wanted to do for, for ages with um, just a multicolor three D printer or multi material three D printer, and it has been working out really nice. Um, with all of the tool changing, the process takes quite a while because you need to well change the tool head. Reheat like the the idle tool, um, prime the nozzle, and stuff like that. But it was working quite reliably, to be honest. Um, I dropped a couple of tools from time to time, just because I don't know something wasn't properly working and um, the offsets were not precisely tuned in. But yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting project. Uh, I really hope to to make a video about it in in the near future just because it's a nice concept and if you have a specific application that maybe is not 
already like implemented a normal 3D printer, just make yourself a tool and you have the possibility to do pretty cool things with it. You can use it right. um, as a vinyl cutter. You can use it with like a, a, a spindle on it to do additive and subtractive um, manufacturing with it. Um, it's a project. It's, well, not a fully working 3D printer when you buy it, but if you're into stuff like that, yeah, you can buy the motion system. Yeah. It's not a cheap machine, though. The, I think that's that's one of the intentions with the tool changer because it is such a complex uh, product. Uh, they they intentionally don't want to like oversell it as, hey, this is a four extruder three D printer. No, you, you don't get the the mainboard with it. You have to buy that separately just to. Uh, I think actually just to deter people from. You know, thinking this is something that's that's easy yep. to get into. No, you have to configure this stuff yourself. And if you don't know how to do that, then you probably shouldn't yep. get one. But yeah, I hope to work with it more in the future. And yeah, we'll see. Multi-material, multi... I don't know, maybe just only trying out which materials are compatible to each other. Can you print TPU on PLA or PTG? This is now the machine that enables me to do that really nicely. And I don't have to... Uh, fiddle around with did i prime the nozzle enough that all of the remaining pla was gone oh, yeah. and things like that yet that you have with multiplexing um well multiplexing hot ends so yeah yeah and i, I mean i do have my uh prusa mmu2 here right next to me still sitting on the on the studio table uh, from the last video I recorded. And yeah, I, I'm not using that for multicolor just because of that issue. Hey, I'm a priming enough. Uh, is it actually going to work? Like all that is just a bit of a pain with these systems unless it's perfectly figured out. And for this machine, it is not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the tool change, I think where, where that is really going to be interesting is once we have, we've talked about yeah. this before, once we have a, a software um, that can actually make use of different types of tools where you combine FTM <coughs> with subtractive, with whatever cutter heads uh, or tools you want to put in there. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that Fusion 360 is going to be there in the near future. And that's going to be the probably one of the tools that you will be able to use to do things like that. So, yeah. Fingers um, crossed. Yeah, on the topic of Fusion... On the topic of Fusion 360, yeah, I think that's one of the things that I forgot to mention um, that I did to get the CNC CNC uh, running. I switched from using uh, Acelcam, which is a super simple 2D-based uh, cam, to using Fusion 360, and it's just, oh, it's so so much nicer. And it's not even that hard to get into. Like, the machine mm. setup is trivial. Yeah. And the amount of, of capabilities it gets you with all the adaptive stuff and just the, the 3D preview mm -hmm. and collision detection. And it is really nice. I, I have also been using a couple of different like cam tools in the past. I started with, well, when I did my, my own CNC with Vectric Cut 2D, which is a really simple and straightforward tool to do, well, 2.5 dimensional routing perfectly suitable for for many applications that you usually do in wood then i used estelcam estelcam also has a couple of really nice features for example if you're doing wood and you are milling inner pockets it has the feature to cut more into the corner that you um have play if you want to put right. another part in there. And this was one of the things I really enjoyed in, in Estelcam. But 
then getting to Fusion 360 just can do everything. Um, I, it's not as straightforward as Cut to, Cut 2D, for example, but it's if if you get around using it, it's really, really, um, it's really, really powerful. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I guess what what he's saying with the uh, with having corners overcut, it's just Fusion is is really separating the <clears throat> low level. Hey, this is how I want to machine my thing versus uh, the high level. Okay, this is what I want my part to look. It's it's kind of separating that into mm. design and manufacture, which really makes yeah. a lot of sense because those two workspaces do exist. Whereas some tools kind of do a bit of both. Like in, in Estelcam, you could even like rudimentarily rudiment you could do some rudimentary drawing um i think if i remember correctly um so yeah because fusion has those very capable tools in design already the cam workspace can really just laser focus Mm -hmm. on hey how am i going to produce this thing out of my out of my piece of stock as good as possible definitely um still if anyone is getting into cnc routing and is usually only doing like flat pieces of of material flat pieces of wood i can still highly recommend cut to d because it's so simple to use um and um it is definitely easier than fusion 360 so if if you're not that deep into fusion 360 take a look at cut to d it's it's a really nice tool and not too expensive i think it's around 100 100 bucks for the yeah, for the software. All right. All right. Cool. Um, right. Before we move on, there is one correction that I uh, that I want to make about the, uh, I think it was last episode or episode before that. Uh, injection molded reusable sterilizable brackets for face shields. I think I said that, uh, who was it? Filament company from the US. Printed Solid? Printed yeah. solid, yes. I think I said that they were, were doing injection molded. That was wrong. It is CME, CNC. Um, those guys have uh, the injection molded brackets for the face shields and have made those and have, yeah, moved to mass production really quickly from, from you know, having to print one at a time to being able to just injection mold one at a time. The cycle time obviously is a lot <laughs> less for injection molding than it is uh, for 3D printing. Yeah, one of the one of the advantages of having people who know their stuff uh, and just having the tools available to, well, maybe not perfectly, but quickly make the parts we cool. need. Yeah. So, so props to them. Still, I have, again, last weekend, I have been printing another 200 face shields for our local initiative because um, one of the reasons is that uh, the 3D printed part is kind of nicer to wear than the injection molded part that some others are using around here it's just uh nicer to wear and has this nice protection on the top so there were a couple of people saying okay i would rather use the 3d printed part instead of the injection molded parts because yeah it's 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 nicer to wear so yeah printed another 200 on my on my mini print farm down in the basement nice Nice. So that was that was face shields. Um, yes, let's move into the news. So number one, Adrian Bory is at it again and uh, has put out a proposal for a for an 
unattended. So 3D printing industry are calling it a continuous unattended 3D printing system. It sounds complicated, um, but it's actually a really simple idea. So uh, it kind of centers or circulates around um, the idea of having a detachable bed and the Mark III is over there, so I'm looking in the wrong direction. Um, where you separate your bed heater and your print surface. And now on the Prusa and many other machines, you have a magnetic coupling between that, that print sheet, that is PEI code in that case, um, and the heater. And if you just regularly print something, you peel it up by hand, you just lift it up and that's it. Um, so what Adrian Boy is proposing is to replace those permanent neodymium magnets with uh, electromagnets. Solenoid, but the sol solenoid is... Isn't the solenoid usually an electromagnet and something that like clicks out with a moving part? Probably, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm guessing that would be that would be a a mechanical ejection at the same time as well. Okay. So, driven by bull pulls with modulated power, smooth through a low pass filter. Yeah, 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 but that's so. If it's really a solenoid, you would have a physical pin that shoots up and pushes the bed out while also you know, releasing the, the magnetic force, the magnetic field. Um, and the the kind of interesting turn on that is uh, he's proposing to not just use the electromagnets in there to uh, hold down the bed and to release it once, once needed, but also to heat it. So because it's just copper coils, you can send current through that and they're just going to heat up, right? They're, they're going to waste power essentially, which is what a heater is. Uh, and you don't have to do any other active heating, any other, other resistive heating, which I think is more of a bonus because a, a heater element isn't really that complex or expensive. <laughs> but yeah, just that it's, it's the idea of you have a, a removable print bit and you have electromagnets electromagnets that release it uh, once the print is done so yeah what do you think about that is that something that could be useful it, it's an interesting idea um well helps you to remove the bat more more quickly and uh maybe without the need of of really pulling it away from the magnets um I'd... yeah i think it could work i don't currently see that many applications but well that many applications at least for oh, a print farms at, you're, you're at least, printing face yeah, shields at least for a home user yeah but um on a print farm but um for well needing it in a print farm um it kind of only well it kind of would only make sense due to the added complexity if you would then really automate it automate it all the way that like a robot is picking up the print plate because otherwise it's not that hard peeling um, the magnetic sheet uh, away from the bed. But yeah, yeah, I, th I think so it's a nice it, idea. It is, it is one part in the completely automated printing. Of mm -hmm. course, there are belt printers and there are other concepts, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I've, I've thought about this before and uh, what it came down to is releasing it from the printer isn't that hard. It's really the... How do you, I mean, if you have a, an electromagnet, the ejection of the bed isn't, isn't that hard. You just print your, you, you tilt your printer sideways, you turn the magnets off and the thing just slides off. But how do you replace the bed? How do you put a new plate, uh, mm. print bed on there? Uh, you would need, ha you need, blah. you would need to have some sort of a magazine uh, and a, you know, at least a grabber that, that replaces it onto your, your, your print surface, onto your mm. printer. That's going to be the, the more involved part, I yeah. think. 
Do you, do you actually see any, well, technical challenges with using a solenoid for, well, heating the bed and also like holding it in place? I mean, it doesn't sound intuitive to me to also use the solenoid for, for heating stuff. <laughs> uh, it's certainly possible. Um, of course, the, the challenge is the... This, Again, I think that this, if it's a solenoid, it has the pin in it. <laughs> the electromagnet, um, it reduces or increases, depending on how it's configured, its magnetic field by the current you send through it. So uh, I guess if you use it for heating, you would have to at least send power through it the way that you're getting more magnetic strength out of the magnet mm -hmm. um, instead of just sending it backwards and, and having it released while it's trying to heat up which is you know defeating the entire point but it it could be doable definitely okay um it's just that i'd probably just put a regular heater in there because <laughs> <this> release <laughs> it's not a complex part well but you but know. the thing is at which location would you put the heaters you would actually need to put the heaters like in between the magnets because you only want or well you could put the heater above the magnets because those magnets could even probably pull the print bed down through one of these pcb heater heater beds if if we look at the the mark three like yeah. the magnets are embedded on the underside below yeah. the heating tracks um in that bed already so if we just have basically the mark 52 or whatever it's called um heated bed and just have slightly larger pockets mm. where instead of the uh new dimmin new permanent magnet we have uh the the electromagnet in there i think it's just it's just gonna work yeah. yeah so the proposal is showing something like uh 25 magnets in there which i unless the the, the electromagnets aren't that strong i think is way too much um but well you you want well it always it so. always depends on the size and you also want your bed to be heated equally so for yes, this reason yes. you, you want to have heating, then a lot of them would be appropriate i was just i was just browsing through knobhead's uh blog i think two days oh, ago yeah. or something like that i have just be, because i have read that article where um like the first heated bed of knobhead was linked where he also just Uh, screwed a couple of resistors to one of these aluminum sheets just around the circumference. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It It is nice to have a really nicely heated bed, but if you have a heat spreader above it, which, well, kind of distributes the heat nicely, uh, it can also work just having a couple of spots that are, well, heated in the end yeah um now i did do that video a few months ago last year uh about how even the heated beds on a few different 3d printers actually are how how even the surface temperature ends up and i mean we've seen anything from almost perfectly even um i think the pushes were kind of okay they did have a few hot spots but it was extremely clear that as soon as you have some sort of a heat spread in there that is just aluminum conducting heat around mm. uh, that makes uh, such a big difference to how evenly your stuff is heated like the um i think it was the ender through yeah the ender has the, the aluminum bed um, aluminum pcb and then glass on top That just is nearly perfect. You get a bit of drop off towards mm. the edges, um, whereas something that has no spreader like the BCN Sigma, 
it has the PCB that doesn't heat up evenly and then even has an air gap to the glass. Mm. That just is atrocious where you have 30 degrees of difference um, <laughs> between spots. And it still works. Like prints still kind of stick down to that bed. Yeah. Well, so. yeah. Still, I do have the experience, at least with my two Prusas, that if I print parts really to the outer sides of the print bed, I need to rise the temperature by around 5 degrees Celsius, for PLA at least, that they properly stick to the bed. So... It might just be that, yes, it's a larger part. (sighs) And it it does have more force just by Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Maybe it's just it's just yeah maybe it's just the bigger part uh but i don't know maybe it's also a bit of the drop off that you have at the side so this could also be an argument of having a very equally heated bed or at least don't have have corners and something like that where the temperature drops off and uh well increases the possibility that that parts lift off but still, yeah, back to the concept. Um, I think my, my take is pretty much the same as yours. It's it's something that can definitely work, but everything around it is going to be the bigger challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how do you replace the bed? Yeah, the getting the getting the bed off is is doable. Yeah, um, you could. I mean, thinking about it, you could probably even do something like uh, you have the bed, you don't move it all the way forward during a regular print, and then. At the end of a print, you move it that extra centimeter forward and there's like just a hook mm. on the bed surface that hooks into a mechanical steady piece. And as the printer moves back, it just rips it off. Yeah. Like that 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 can remove <laughs> it, but even on, on a Prusa with the magnets. Um, but then how do you get the next layer on? Yeah, yeah we'll see um, if, if that's going to be something that we'll see in future 3D printers. I think a lot of the stuff that's being thrown out there is just so that nobody else is going to patent it. Maybe, yeah. That there's there's prior art published yeah. uh, to the point where yeah, if if somebody ever patents it, like that's nope. I I that's think it. that is a, a pretty good point that you're making there. So, yeah, since since Adrian Boyer is like full in the in the open source. Uh, mentality uh, it, it could be a case even though it's so, some ideas might not be like totally um, ready for mm. for being implemented on, on machines or don't make 100% sense but before Stratasys is patenting them again and just taking that idea away from us for the next 20 years it's, it's better to just publish something at some point yeah mm. Exactly. Um, you know, it's also very practical. 3D printing in general, if you have to fix a car <laughs> and if, if you want to bring your car to market as quickly as you can. Uh, Tesla is using uh, FDM, actually pretty rough looking FDM parts in their production model or why. So there's an article on InsideEVs.com uh, that shows that Apparently, there's been an issue with the mold of the HVAC, some some HVAC box that they have just glued a 3D printed part onto. Um, looks like some sensor mount or something. It's cool <laughs> to see 3D printing used uh, in a production car. I mean, it's if it's being used by any company, I would expect Tesla to, yeah. to be the one. But yeah. The... 
well, the question again is why they are using a 3D printed part and why isn't Tesla able to spit out an injection mold in like one night and do this part injection molded? I don't know. What's your thought on that? Why 3D printing? I mean, a mold doesn't typically just take a day, especially for a part that looks rather large. I mean, there's there's plenty of machining time in a mold like that. Um, but also what I'm thinking is they just had a bunch of these parts already produced and didn't want to wait for the mold uh, to arrive yeah. or didn't want to, you know, maybe they, they wanted to make a few hundred cars um, and just had that many parts queued up and needed a, a last minute fix. I mean, Musk is known for having rather quick or, or, or short deadlines <laughs> on stuff and hey if you gotta meet that deadline you probably would rather 3d print a part instead of waiting for machine capacity and for a mold to to finish and then redoing all that yeah yeah well similar to face shields it's just a, a stopgap probably we won't see that part in in future models of or in future like yeah. uh just cars that are uh, getting out of the the factory but if you use it on some of the the cars just that they can get shipped and everybody's happy in the end why not use it if it's working um, yeah. the part really looks kind of crude but probably somebody it's, thought if thought about if 3d printing is is the proper technology for that application yeah it's on the outside of a of an airbox so it's not really in the in contact with mm. the air it looks like yeah. works yeah. works definitely the thing that yeah. i find really nice is they are is that they are using fdm 3d printing because um you can see 3d printed parts in some consumer goods but if you usually see 3d printed parts there they're usually sls 3d printed so sintered out of yeah. nylon which has a nicer appearance and the properties are more isotropic and you don't have to worry about layer lines you don't have to worry about supports and stuff like that but yeah either they were really really in a hurry or um Maybe they were using the same material as the airboxes. Maybe this is also ABS and they can um, use a just a, a solvent to glue the part on the existing part. That might also be the reason why they were using FDM 3D printing. That that would have been my, my guess as well, um, just the material they can use. Because nylon isn't the material you can glue that easily. Nope. <sighs> yeah. Cool. So nice to see. Nice to see, yeah. <laughs> And well, I haven't read the whole article, but it came out when somebody was just disassembling one for, uh, I don't know, reverse engineering for YouTube. No, just just to show it up on, okay. uh, off on YouTube, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's what what you do right now. You know, you get a brand new Tesla, and you, the first thing you do is take it apart. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I actually want to get to that 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 point someday where I can just <laughs> buy a. I don't know how, how much a Model Y is, but probably 60, it 70. It's like 40 grand or 40 something. 40 grand, yeah, just take it apart and <laughs> the, the... I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's going to put it back together and uh, he's going to have a working car for that, but, you know. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, next news topic. So uh, you have linked an article about Fab MX, which is a Munich-based Fab Lab. And they are 
currently developing an open source printhead or printer for metal FDM 3D printing. Tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, you've been in contact with the guy. <laughs> so I <laughs> so. I have actually been in contact with that guy. So as, yeah. as far as I understand it, um, we have already been talking about metal FDM 3D printing a couple of times on this podcast. Uh, this is where you take a filament that is like 80% in weight metal and 20% um, just a binder that is holding the metal parts together, print a part out of it, and then remove the binder and center to par center the part that you get like a, a finished um, a finished metal part out of it. Uh, the thing is with that technology that the filament itself is pretty expensive, and yeah, it's like the BASF stuff you can buy it's for the BASF, what is it, 150 bucks a roll. Uh, it's it's the BASF Ultrafuse that is, yes. I think, 120 or 150 euros per kilogram, but there are three kilograms on a roll, so you pay around 400 euros okay. for a roll that is not even fully full in comparison to, to a PLA spool. Oh, it's heavy, right? It, it's yeah. horribly heavy. Um, so what BASF is using is more or less their cutter mold pellets to generate the material and uh, BSF has been well, producing injection molding material for metal parts for for many years and this is is used in well so many like yeah, like tools and stuff like that where you also uh, yeah take a take pellets that are 80% in weight metal and then just a binder injection mold them in, into your molds steam binder then center them and Yada yada. Well, the thing is, those pellets are way cheaper than the filament. I don't know how much a kilogram of cutter mold is costing, but probably like a fourth or a fifth or something like that in that range. So the thing is, the technology might be more feasible if the filament would not be that expensive. And the Fablag in Munich is trying to take away the necessity to use filament and they want to use the pellets themselves to directly extrude them. Um, there are already pellet extruders around and I also have the Mahor, um, the Mahor pellet extruder. But the thing is, those metal particles in the pellets, they are abrasive. So you need to have an extruder that is capable of not wearing down when you put those pellets through the extrusion system and this is what they are actually working on so uh, probably nozzles an auger and also the pipe uh, how's it? yeah probably the feeder and everything the, yeah. the feeder that is out of um uh, hardened steel or something like that and yeah. uh yeah just just to make that work and if if that's work if that's working in the end uh tom are you still there Oh my! I uh, my hold on. My mic is uh, disconnecting, reconnecting. That's not good. Y your mic is still there, but your picture is gone. <laughs> my picture is gone. It looks like my USB something something just reconnected. Uh, I should be. Ah, yeah. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, you're back. Yeah. So my USB subsystem just crashed. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if if they actually get it working, yeah. uh, it would enable 
many more to use that technology. Well, it would uh, be a step forward for that technology that it is more economic because at the moment it's quite expensive to use it, um, especially also with the uh, with the post-processing steps, but the material itself is also yeah quite expensive and uh, so so I, I guess I guess one thing that we should mention uh, for this entire FabMX project uh, is this is supposed to be open source. This is supposed to be built in a way where the community builds their own machines and can use the processes themselves without mm -hmm. having to invest in a uh, I don't know twenty thousand euro printer and then having to buy the proprietary material and then having mm -hmm. to buy the uh, debindering ovens and buy the licenses for the processes and I don't know where what the steps are to actually get something like this working on a commercial scale but instead they're trying to do it uh in a i don't want to say diy because there's still like high temperatures involved and all that but at least in a setting where a fab lab can have a printer like this um and just have or, or give their members access and the 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 framework for this um that's it's the it's the fab lab munich i actually do have a video of uh, Andreas Kala, uh, who is one of the initiators of this project. I do have a video, an interview with him somewhere on the channel. Don't look it up. It's it's old and the audio quality sucks. But um, they... I mean, they they it's based around the the Fab Lab Munich. It's based out of that, and they are trying to make this available for everyone else, including other Fab Labs. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see if if it's gonna work out for them because I think it's kind of challenging getting everything to work, getting constant feed, getting materials that will not wear down. And um, besides the ultra fuse, there are also other materials available on the market in pellet form that could be used for that process. And some don't really require that. Well, specific equipment for debindering um, the stuff, uh, debindering the material. Uh, some can actually be, well, melted or, or or sintered in a, for example, in a dental, dental sintering oven, something like that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it it might open, open up uh, possibilities for some yeah for for this technology. Very interesting. Yeah. I don't know. So Munich, Munich isn't that far away from me. Maybe I'll I'll drive up there uh, to talk to Stefan once they have something uh, up and running, and once I'm actually able to to leave uh, this town again <laughs> <laughs> and venture out into the world. Yeah. Ah, very nice. Uh, yeah, and lastly, one I, I think I think this one is one that we don't have. Well, lastly, there's still <clears throat> more to come, but the one one that we both find kind of weird. Um, news from newatlas.com and a few other comp uh, companies, news sites have uh, echoed this news as well. Apparently, the U.S. military is producing a, or the U.S. Army uh, is producing a type of filament that is AB, ABS on the outside and polycarbonate on the inside, where it's not just one strand of filament that's just the same material through and through, but they have a star-shaped insert in a in an ABS sleeve, and apparently that gives you like uber properties for strength and stuff once it's extruded. I don't know how much there is to that. <laughs> Uh, what I find really interesting is the way that's, uh, that they're actually making the filament. So 
they start with a with an actual slab of uh, this stuff that's 3D printed. Uh, it looks like it's roughly like three centimeters in diameter, and it already has that star pattern on the inside. And it's kind of like it it, remi- it really reminds me of like candy making, uh, where you make your slab and then you pull it in in size, you melt it down, and then you you basically stretch it. Oh, how gla- glass uh, fibers are made. Well, glass fibers, yeah. yeah. Um, so you start out with an actual 3D printed slab. Uh, looks like it's about three centimeters in diameter and, and like twenty centimeters tall. Uh, with the same shape, same pattern, polycarbonate on the inside, ABS on the outside, and then it's stretched in length into filament. Yeah, it. so it would be really interesting to see what this material combination or what the benefit of this material combination is because we know PC, ABS, um, well, filament, where PC and ABS is like directly compounded into yeah one one filament but i don't know what the real benefit of having this star pattern in the material would be in the end and uh yeah i unfortunately haven't read the paper which would be really interesting but i have just seen that i might be able to like buy it for eight dollars and maybe it, it might be worth taking a look at it maybe just to see if they also um, if they also show a couple of the results, um, because I think they're saying in their abstract that it's 15 times higher in fractured toughness compared to as printed ABS structures, but I don't know how that compares to a PC ABS compound. That would be interesting. All right, let me let me just look up if the uh, the internet does have. <laughs> Oh yes, I have still is up. Um, there we go. Um, I'm just gonna link that. We're not gonna link it in the uh, where is it in the show notes, but Stefan, there's there's the uh, okay. access. Or also, I mean, if you don't want to use SciHub, um, actually, one of the things you can do is just write an email to the researchers, and they are able, they're allowed to share the uh, the research paper with you without charging you it's just the journals that are making the money off of papers so yeah um yeah i'll i'll be taking a look at it and maybe we can talk about that process in the next video and if it really makes sense to have a a structure like that yeah especially once it's once it's like smeared down as a layer like does it does it actually i mean well, I would expect that star shape yeah. to be like slimmed down and then vertical and different. Well, you compared it to rebar in in concrete. Yes. But the thing with rebar is that you have two materials that have really different properties. So you have the concrete that is really com- yeah. uh, really resistant in compression and you have the rebar that also can take tension and so the combination of both give gives you the best of both worlds. Yeah, and ABS and polycarbonate are quite similar in, in properties, yeah. so it's probably, rebar is probably bad comparison, but it, it reminds yeah. me of that. So, yeah, we, we'll see. I have, uh, it might be interesting to take a look at the results and um, maybe also, I don't know, uh, there, well, you can't 3D print your own filament, so at, at least a small amount of that material would be able to be printable on for example the tool changer with uh two different uh tool heads <laughs> so you're just going to be printing like little 
I don't know how long you can print well, stuff that's like 1.75. Well, you you, you can. Pr- I don't know if you have seen uh, if you have seen the video of Three Maker Noob uh, where you where he printed a, a, a spiral which is also hexagon shaped with different materials. Uh, well, anyways, I think it was was an idea of Das Mia uh, or something like that, right. um, where you can print your own multi multi color material by printing a spiral and then just stacking up different colors. And those colors will not mix up in the nozzle because you have a quite laminar flow yeah. all the way through the nozzle. And you get, you, really, you get interesting, effect. yeah, really interesting effects in the end. And I think that would also be... Oh, I think that's a good idea. I think that would be also possible <laughs> to just uh, 3D print that on, for example, a tool changer because you could also add different different patterns, patterns that way. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Maybe, maybe I try it out. <laughs> Yeah, let's see. Yeah. All right, uh, good news. <laughs> not not in the sense of good news, everyone. It's uh, actually good news. Um, so we've been following the story of Brook Drum and Printabot on the podcast and on the YouTube channel. I did do a, uh, a video interview with him uh, just before the company went back bankrupt and just after the company went bankrupt. Uh, did I? Oh, I don't think I have anything published before that. Anyways, uh, it looks like they are back on track of you know being able to to boot Printerbot back up. So Printerbot, US-based three um, D printer manufacturer, and they were actually one of the first, or actually the first Kickstarter printer ever out there uh, with a I think three hundred dollar printer that was was kind of rough but it printed and it was the cheapest but by by a long shot uh the cheapest printer you could get and they've ever since been i don't know if i've liked the printers for being kind of workhorses uh maybe in the end they kind of went a bit overboard with the with the color touchscreen and uh, having their own printer server and all that but anyways uh printabot is on track of getting back up um the uh, bankruptcy process is done is over it's it's finished um brooke is no per- no longer personally it, it seems like no longer personally liable for any damages done or any debts and he's basically getting a, a fresh start so that is good to see and also uh it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of printabot LLC 2.0, I guess. Um, which direction that's going to be heading? Whether it's going to be printers again, or I don't know, other stuff. So, well, you, you actually know him a little bit more, and it would be really interesting to see how he places him, himself in the current market. Because when he started with Printerbot, there weren't as many printy, printer manufacturers around, and the market was probably not as saturated as it is today and um yeah well he he was manufacturing most of his stuff in the u.s which was probably one of the reasons why he got bankrupt in the end but if he wants to it ain't cheap yeah it ain't cheap well he was actually manufacturing most of the stuff in-house and you told me that they had well they had their water jet cutter they had uh reflow ovens pick and place machines and things like that yeah um so it will be interesting to see where he's going to place himself. Um, 
simple cheap 3d printer we have seen the belt printer i think that was one of the last things that he actually showed off or at i i don't think that was those that was a product that was actually made i think that was a design produced or something the printer belt printer belt printer belt yeah something like the printer belt i think this was one of the last things that he showed off at barrier maker fair or something like that i have seen it at some point um if he's continue working on that because that might be an interesting idea and there the market is probably not as saturated as with normal cartesian 3d printers or if he's going to do something totally different i don't know if he can let his fingers off 3d printing yeah um but either way whatever he decides to do i think it's it's good to have more players in the well it might not be good for the players, but it, it's good for the customer to have more <laughs> players in there. Um, and I think it's also good to have different takes on things. Uh, Printabot has has always been unique in their printers, uh, the way they were built, the the approach they took to things. Even if it wasn't always like the best best approach, but it was it was an impulse and it was a direction that that. that you know they were able to try out and see hey this works this doesn't and yeah i mean lots lots of good things came out of it so yeah anyways it's it's good to see that uh the that process is uh mm. is done it's completed and brooke and uh yeah brooke family and his partners can move on to to new shores cool yeah looking forward to that all right uh, let's take a look at the time. Um, <laughs> we are. You've got the time. I've, I've been recording a bit before we started. Um, <laughs> yeah, we we are already an hour in. So um, maybe just shortly talking about the next topic I I put in there. Uh, yeah, because because we can do that. <laughs> so I put PTF uh, PTFE three D printing in our show notes. Because, um, well, even though it is not a news topic, so maybe start from the beginning. Yeah. Um, you, you gotta you gotta prime me on this though, because the like the only thing I know about PTFE is it is a plastic and it gets kind of toxic if you heat it up too much, <laughs> uh, and it's kind of slippery. So that's that's like the three things I know about PTFE. It's the slipperiest material uh, I think known to man, or something like that. Um, it. I'm sure there's something nano that's better than it. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> but, but lotus yeah. flowers. Um, so the thing with PTFE is PTFE and wait a second. PTFE is is a thermoplastic. Right. Let, so let it, me. it gets soft and it melts Thermo, yeah. as you heat it up in contrast exactly. to a thermoset, which uh, cures chemically and then it just breaks yeah. down when you heat it up. But even though PTFE, but even though PTFE is a thermoplast, it can't be injection molded because um, the, I think I read about that. I think the viscosity that, um, the viscosity when when you melt it melt it just before degeneration is still that high that you can't really make something out of that. For this reason, um, all of the PTFE parts that we see nowadays are extruded, injection molded, 
or um, with some other chemical process. Yeah, I, I, I thought you can't injection mold it. You can't injection mold. So extrude it in a way that you have PTFE particles and you kind of really just mush them together in a way that you, for example, get your Bowden, Bowden tube uh, for yeah. your 3D printer. So it's it's actually it's more like a it's probably more similar to a sintering process. It's very right? similar we, we to just a sintering process. Force the stuff together, and in the end, it's something that's similar to a solid part. But yeah, you force it together, and then you still need to heat it up. That you kind of fuse the particles together. So right. the the thing is with those properties, and you are you weren't in the past able to really create very intricate structures with it um and well just just because you you can't melt it so uh well you you can't melt it so you can't uh for example uh, 3d print it on an sls machine where you sinter the parts together with a laser because they just don't melt they um kind of degenerate before they start just fusing together um so 3m was contacting me a couple of weeks ago and they told me about their process that they have already had on the market for a year or two or something like that um where they are now able to generate 3d printed parts out of Teflon, out of three. Oh, and you actually have some some there. I, wow. Yeah, I actually received one, I think, a couple of days ago. Um, and the thing that is interesting about that process is that they are using an SLA process or an MSLA process where I don't know how it really works because the, the process itself is proprietary, but they probably have particles of PTFE in a resin that they then cure um, just as a normal 3D printed part and then remove that binder, so the resin, and then sinter the part in the end. And um, this is kind of a really involved process because getting the binder out of uh, out of that, well, out of that that part is can be really hard because you need to find the proper point before your just material is breaking apart again when no binder is in the material anymore and then you also need to sinter it to get to a a like a fully dense part in the end and it is kind of similar to metal fdm 3d printing where you also deep binder so get the binder out of the metal yeah, particles I, I was going to say that why, why not why not just use fdm in that case it sounds a lot cheaper and a lot more more tried it might be cheaper uh but i think since this is kind of an involved process um using sla as a process just gives you the possibility to to uh, 3d print even smaller parts and even with with more details that might be interesting for example for the medical industry and, and, and things like that uh, this might be one of the reasons why why they use that process. And maybe the binders okay. that are used, the thermoplastic binders that are used in FDM 3D printing might not be suitable for the process. So, um, yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting because we haven't seen PTFE 3D printed parts in the past. And I just know from my professional experience that they sometimes would be useful if you are working with really nasty chemicals or... Yeah, mostly with really nasty chemicals. And, um, well, also the application where PTFE was used at first was with 
uranium hexafluoride during uh, the Manhattan Project because the PTFE, because the uranium hexafluoride that was used to enrich uranium uh, just chewed away all of the pipes that we, they were using to just um, put um, that, that, that gas through and PTFE uh, doesn't react to that. So they were cutting the pipes in that. And this is also one of the reasons why I think Teflon PTFE is still under export control because it can be used for yeah. uranium enrichment. It's really interesting. Okay. okay. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it, it doesn't react to things, so it might be interesting for the chemical and the medical industry. And it's now a process that can be used. As I said, it's a proprietary process, so you can't buy the resin and do everything at home. Um, but they are offering that as a service. But um, I don't... <sighs> I don't really see that in a very bad way because the like the sintering oven and the debindering process and stuff is probably that complicated that it would not make sense for for just a normal right. company to uh, have all of that equipment at their facility. So it's it's not like with the BSF ultrafuse where you print your own parts and then you send it in for debindering. Yeah. It's actually just a uh, like shape or something. You exactly. send the, the CAD in and you get the, the finished yeah, part back. Exactly. So. Um, it's interesting. It's it's really nice to see those parts and they don't look in a way like crumbly or sintered. They just look like a, well, they, they have the surface of a PTFE Bowden tube. It's really nice. Yeah, slippery, smooth. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the the one thing that obviously uh, PTFE is used for in 3D printing is, uh, you know, where you need slipperiness. Yeah. Uh, but of course, if you just want to print slippery stuff, uh, you can use, uh, God, what's the name? Igos. Igos's yeah. uh, FTM materials, for yeah. example. And those, I mean, aren't trivial to print, but you can just buy the filament on a spool and print stuff yeah. yourself. So if you just need that, then, you know, there are alternatives. But if you need the chemical resistance, like mm -hmm. you said, uh, then PTFE is mm -hmm. probably the way to and go. And what IGUS is also offering, they also, um, well, offer that as an in-house process where you send your cats to them and right. they SLS 3D print um, more complex parts for you. Yeah, just sounded like you're sending your, your pet cat to the <laughs> cat. Like, please, please don't put your cat in a box and ship it to either side. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they appreciate you know having a cat around, but it's I don't think that's it's it's too too good for the cats to be shipped with the uh, um, Petsovernight.com. I don't know if you if you ever played GTA Three. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, but apparently. Back in like the seventies or something, you were able to order pets through uh, Quelle. Seriously, okay. Yeah, they, they had they had dogs, they had cats, they had horses. Even <laughs> um, I would like to see a shipping container for a horse. Yeah, uh, yeah. I learned that from from another podcast, and yeah, apparently the cheapest one was the was the dachshund, okay. uh, the cheapest dog you could buy. Um. um. I guess I guess easy to ship. You don't need very tall boxes. Well, everyone who still remembers GTA Three, there was one of the it was one of the the radio commercials there, and it was petsovernight.com delivering little bundles of love directly to your door. And that that website <laughs> actually exists. <laughs> is 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 it one from Rockstar? Yeah, or is it one, just a no? It's one from Rockstar. Okay. <laughs> nice. 
<lacht> Kittens, Puppies, Fish, Rhinos, <lacht> Stomach, Parasites, Vermin, Whales, <lacht> Sharks. Ja, oh, yeah, GTA ist, I think, more of, more of an art project yeah. than, a, than a real game game. At <lacht> All right. Oh, so uh, yeah, if if you guys are interested or if you guys need uh, like really chemically resistant, highly complex parts, uh, yeah, check out 3M's website. Uh, but it's not going to be cheap. Do, yeah, do they ship to North Korea? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, uh, I guess they would be interested, but uh, too bad, too bad. Cool. I think that's the, the news and topics for this week. Uh, are we ready to move on to some questions from the community? Yes, we are. Let's start with number one from Dale. <laughs> one possible small subject for the next Melt Zone. Uh, do food, sweets, pizza, etc. printers work? And do they have anything useful to contribute to the world? Uh, that's, that's two questions in one. So have, have you followed food printing have you seen those in, in action i have seen it in action uh never ever printed food so far all right so okay uh, I, I guess there's a there's, there's a bit of a range of uh, approaches and products that you could call a food printer like i guess technically a pizza robot like pizza in a box that like has the dough and then puts uh sauce and cheese and <laughs> toppings and stuff on top i guess technically that's as much of a food 3d printer <laughs> as anything it's an additive process right? yeah it's layer based <laughs> it's like it, it it ticks all the boxes um and it's it's computer controlled so yeah it i mean that's a food printer and i think that is useful and i think that that does work But typically, when you are talking about uh, food 3D printing, you're talking about something like the Bocassini, which are more or less local to me. They're from Freising, which is like 70 kilometers away. Um, so they are, I mean, that they started out, again, with Printabot and a syringe extruder on top. Um, and that's typically what you still see with uh, what's going to be called a food 3D printer. We have a syringe that's cnc controlled and lays down i don't know they, they started out or actually make actually started out like that as well with a cupcake cnc with a robot for decorating uh your cupcakes okay. with colored frosting <laughs> um that's why it's called the cupcake cnc okay. right um but typically a paste extruder that can that can somehow extrude uh liver pate uh, or potato mashed potatoes uh or caramel or You know anything that you can put into a uh, into a syringe and it can push through the nozzle, and then you can make three objects out of that. And yes, that that works. That works. Um, the one big caveat to me is that it's always a it's it's, it's just a reshaping process, just like any other three. Well, I guess SLA technically not, but like an FDM 3D printer, you have your input material, and all the printer does is to put it into a different shape. And with food printers, like it doesn't, it's not a Star Trek replicator where you create food from scratch. You have, you still have to prepare the food um, separately and then place it into that syringe. And then all the printer does is, is it reshapes it again. So 
if you want to define work as in does it create food no it doesn't create food it just reshapes it um but it does have its applications i mean the the bocassini guys i know they're doing like uh again cake toppings like wedding cake decorations um i think one of the applications was also that may be more of a hypothetical one um if you have senior citizens that like can't eat specific things anymore and you just want to have like something that's shaped um <sighs> epsom pears yeah uh just like little balls of mm. something that has added nutrients or uh you know is one type of food in a different shape you can do that with a 3d printer it's not like you can't do that with any other process like if you have it in the paste form anyways you can put it into a mold and just do it like that but it's a it's a very flexible process that can reshape food into any cnc program path <laughs> Maybe where I could see, well, yeah, definitely. Maybe where I could see an application in the future is maybe 3D printing meat because kind of replicating a fiber structure, maybe that would be possible with such a layered process. You are going to need a multi-material setup though, because if it's just a paste, like what what, what is that going to be? That's just going to be minced meat. That's just going to be spam essentially, right? <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you have, I don't know, a, a extruder that coats those small sausages coming out of the nozzle in a specific, I don't know, coating that it, it gets more chewy. Um, I also, well, don't see really like useful applications of food 3D printing at the moment, useful in a way that it adds something... It adds something to that you can't do with another. That you process. can't do with another process. Right. It's it, it's a gimmick and can maybe make nice decorations and I don't know uh, pancakes with your face on it. But yeah, the pancake brought right. That's a that's a food three D printer technically. Yeah. Well, I have I have a, I have a, a volcano hat, hot uh, heat heat bed on on my tool changer. Uh, just add a syringe extruder on there and then I can bake my own pancakes on my on my tool yeah. changer i don't know maybe this is something i'm gonna do in the future but yeah at the moment i i see it as as a gimmick there are some small applications but i don't know may, maybe in the future we really have a star trek thingy thing thing that yeah replicates. i mean like i said you, you still have that challenge of you need to prepare what goes yeah. in it's just, it's a one-in, one-out process. There's nothing being replicated or mm. produced It's or even processed. It's just a reshaping process, what we have right now. Uh, and I guess if we have, if you have something like a, a printer that creates a meat light or a steak-like texture, a steak-like thing, um, it's it's probably not going to be very similar to a 3d printer as we know it today it's not just going to be an xyz uh coordinate system there's going to be more to that process uh to create that product than that reshaping process we have right now and typically on an industrial scale uh there are machines that look that that maybe do something that we would consider to be a 3d printer but it's so far so 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 far away from that core 3d printing process that um or you know where it's just more efficient to do it in a different way 
Um, I don't know if you've seen the the the, the gifs of uh, Vienna ice cream, Vienetta. Sorry, Vienetta ice cream. That that layer based mm-hmm. thing being made where it's um, you know vanilla ice cream and then a layer of, of chocolate and then. I mean, you could 3D print that like sideways, right? You could do that in a printing process, but it's just way more efficient to do it in a uh, just conveyor belt system where you drop each layer on mm. top. And technically, that's a that's a 3D printer as well, yeah, right? But it's it's not something we would define as a 3D yeah. printer. You're right. Okay, shall we move on to the next question? Yes, yes, go ahead. So, Bellevue. Belvi German uh, is asking, what's your opinion on the non-planar nozzle by non-planar XYZ? It seems like a super easy solution, but maybe too simple. Um, Heat transfer over the entire length and nozzle height calibration come to mind. Um, So the thing what he is actually talking about is a special nozzle for existing 3d printers that is just like five times as long um the problem with non-planar 3d printing one of the problems with non-planar 3d printing is that the angle at which you can print is depending on the clearance around your print head and this nozzle is trying to conquer that by just making the nozzle longer and have more clearance Okay, I just I just saw something that I didn't see in the pre-show discussion of this topic. Okay. So okay, so what I said before we started here is this is just a Ubis hotend. This is just a standard hotend that's been on a printer bot forever, which is you know about half an inch thick and quite long. Uh, where you have your heater at the end, uh, and then you have whatever the original ones had um, PEK as an insulator up top and then just a nozzle on the bottom it looks like what the non-planar.xyz nozzle is if you actually go to nozzles on their site it looks like it's an extension for your e3d heater block or e3d compatible exactly it is really just a very long nozzle so it is actually a nozzle and not not a full hot end but not not in a way a long nozzle edit as it is with a volcano hot end it is the Where part that is wraps around it. protruding out of the heater block that is very long and is i don't know how long it is but probably something like four or five centimeters yeah uh i mean yeah i guess i guess it uh, uh, i i i guess i, I guess i i think there's <laughs> no. still the issue with how do you make proper g-code for non-planar 3d printing and i still get like a couple of comments every week about why are you not doing non-planar 3d printing on your channel uh we've i think we've covered it on the on the yeah. podcast before um yeah i've tried it now there what what misled me originally was there that it looks like there are two different or two iterations of the same product on nozzles.xyz or nonplanar.xyz, sorry, uh, on the website. The first one really does look like a UBIS hardened because it's just that 45 or 90 degree um, nozzle tip on the end. Uh, whereas if you actually go to nozzles up top and you look at what the ones are that you can buy, is they are much sharper nozzles. So it looks like it's not that 90 degree up top, but more like a 30 okay. degree maybe or 45 degree so it is actually a very sharp nozzle 
um, that also doesn't have, typically if you look at my, I've got a few nozzles here, um, obviously, ah, if I grab one, you guys are not going to see it. But if you look at a nozzle, there is the bore in the center, typically mm -hmm. your 0.4, and then there is a flat spot around it that in E3D's nozzles, I think, is two and a half times as wide as um, your nozzle bore itself. And that is there to actually give you a better surface finish, because if you just have that pointy bit, you are going to have very rough top layers. You're not going to get a very smooth layer extrusion we, you're not going to smush it flat mm. so that actually has a purpose but of course since that flat spot is there it's not very good for doing full 3d 3d non-planar printing um because obviously it's going to collide with your already printed pass so that's also something that the no, the, the non-planar what's it called non-planar.xyz nozzle is yeah. doing but um so uh, the finish of like the orifice is is very similar to an mk8 nozzle that is used on most chinese printers they also don't have this one millimeter usually don't have this one millimeter flats flat spot on many of their nozzles um yeah as i said it might be very usable for for non-planar 3d printing but still you require some uh some way to generate g-code for non-planar 3d printing and as long as that is not really existing it's nice to look at but but stefan there is that non-planar slick 3r build that you can get yeah it's it's a nice start but um it's still yeah i've tried it it's not very it's it's not doing a lot um now of course if you if you can set it to very aggressive settings with something yeah. like an onplanet.xyz nozzle then it's going to do a bit more but uh, what they're showing on the website is probably handcrafted hand um post-process g-code wait there's also a tab on software yeah. What do they have on software in order to generate g-code from your design you will need our g-code generator it's a simple but effective tool to be used with Grasshopper and Rhino 6. Uh, so they are selling a $20 G-code generator with it. Okay. That works with uh, Rhino and Grasshopper. And I think Rhino and Grasshopper is what... Oh, God, what, what is his name? Uh, last year or two years ago on the Fabcon 3D, there was one guy who was doing like art printing um, and procedural printing. And he had like a Burning Man exhibition. Or, or exhibition Burning Man uh, showpiece or whatever you call it, and he was also using Rhino and Grasshopper, I think, specifically to do like procedural part generation for those art projects. So, yeah, if you if you're using that, you can do the the uh, the you can't use their Gco generator, but it's I don't think that's actually a slicer that you can just shove any model into. Yeah, me neither. Have you ever been working with Grasshopper? No, never. Um, because uh, I have seen um, there is Oliver Brosman. He, he he's a guy that is doing three D printed shoes, and he's also right. creating those shoes. Oh, how are they called? Uh, he's also he's creating those shoes using using Grasshopper, and it's impressive what you prevolve. They're called, uh, and it's impressive what you what you can get out of that process where you connect those 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 boxes together so i don't know if it's worth taking a look at yeah um 
Now, I was going to say so that the one the one issue I see with the nozzles is that there is there is an insulation sleeve that comes with it that actually covers the nozzle extension tube yeah. uh, so you're not getting any heat loss there but then there is that large slug of um, brass in this case that looks like it's just out in the open so you will get quite a lot of heat loss there and because it is only coupled to the heater block with that long mm. tube you do get quite a bit of resistance so that the very nozzle tip is probably going to be well 10 20 30 degrees colder than what your heater block up top is actually seeing but maybe that's not such a big issue maybe you need to rise your printing temperatures a little bit more but due to the amount of time the filament just stays in that hot region <laughs> it might also help to melt the material properly and more properly as in comparison to just a, a, a small nozzle. The, I mean, the challenge when you have like such a, such a decoupled system, if you want to, I mean, the assumption is you want to keep the nozzle, the very nozzle tip at a constant temperature because that's that's that last bit your filament touches. Um, you want to keep that at a constant temperature, but there's such a, a long delay and such a large resistance to where you're actually regulating the temperature, uh, you're not going to have a consistent temperature at the mm -hmm. nozzle. You're, you, it's, it's always going to lag behind what the heater block is doing, and it's also going to be uh, a variable. And depending on, you know, how much is your fan mm. blowing, uh, how fast are you feeding, because the filament mm. itself or the plastic itself is also carrying energy. Uh, it's going to depend on so many different things, and it, it might be a, a very touchy setup. Yeah, I don't know. I've not used it. This is just speculation, but they actually, well, they actually yeah. got in contact with me. <laughs> A month or two ago and they actually said that they're gonna send me one but so far it hasn't arrived but we'll see we'll see um if there was like a copper sleeve um around that that extension part maybe it would be a bit better i don't know just due to the thermal mass and the conductivity or yeah just because it is brass isn't that good of a thermal conductor um so if you add some more copper around it it might just help pull some of that heat down to the no. nozzle and replace the heat loss from the fan and from just ambient um that is happening at that very nozzle tip yeah well yeah brass is almost four times worse in comparison to copper in terms of thermal connectivity interesting yeah cool interesting <laughs> All right. right, but since the since we don't have a product yet, like there's, we can't really do uh, any any objective yeah. uh, assessment of the, the, the thing. The thing that is really interesting. So they're selling the nozzles, which are twenty four, uh, thirty four dollars a piece. No, no. There's hold on, hold on. What what, what did I just see? Uh, X was he up up uh, per case? Oh, like you can get a single nozzle for eight fifty. Oh, sorry, eight fifty. Then you can buy a sample G-code for $10. Wait, what? G-codes. Then you can buy a tutorial into path okay. programming for $30. And then in the end, you buy their G-code generator for another 20 bucks. So that's 50 Wait, okay. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought, okay, those tabs, I thought those were just tutorials. I mean tutorial you want to sell your product obviously you just put a youtube video there okay but now to, to learn how to actually use it it's another 30 bucks and then you need to so i mean all things combined 
you try it out you buy the nozzle <laughs> you, you, you down like 80 bucks yep. <laughs> i mean okay yeah we'll see maybe uh someone of us gets the chance to really try it out and and, and see if it's uh worth for something other than just showing off <laughs> all right <laughs> all right well, let's move on last question uh, yes go ahead um Monocle Wheat is asking. <laughs> Question. Have either, either of you considered building a DIY 3D printer available on Thingiverse? Examples, Hypercube, uh, yeah, Hypercube, Hypercube Evolution, BLV, MGN Cube, ANET, AM8, etc. Have you ever considered, uh, well, building a DIY 3D printer that is available on Thingiverse? So, I mean, I have considered building a, 3D, a DIY 3D printer and I've done so before. Uh, I don't know. I've, I've not, I've, I've briefly looked into the, the available printers like the Hypercube. Obviously, that's the one that uh, always comes up when it's like, hey, have you, you know, do you need a printer to build, build that one? Uh, but no, I've, I've not actually seriously considered building one. I don't know why. Time? Um. No, but then again, I have I have done a full you know DIY Prusa Mark II clone, which definitely took more time than just <laughs> uh, you know building a printer that's that's available on Thingiverse. Um, yeah. So well, I haven't built one either. I would have liked to build one, but for me, it's just the lack of time and just the flood of three D printers that I already have. That there is no need for me to print one. Um, I've also heard many things about the Hypercube. Seems to be working really well. <clears throat> um, but yeah, you need to spend a bit of time printing or, well, building those printers. And you already need a, um, an existing 3D printer to print the parts for it. But otherwise, yeah, if, if, you wanna, if you're looking for a project, I think it's not a bad idea to work on one of those. I... <sighs> I, I think I just realized why I've never considered building one, and it it probably has to do with the fact that I already have so many printers. Um, that you know, we just talked about the Creality want to send us a, yet another printer, and possibly this weekend, and when this podcast goes live, it'll, it'll maybe already have happened. Uh, I'm just going to be taking apart printers because I, I have too many. I'll, I'll be taking apart some of the you know not so good ones and scrapping them for parts. Uh, that when I do want a want to build a three D printer, when I do want to take the time, I I I want to I want it to be something that that I made, um, that I either designed where I can try out stuff or where I've, I don't know want to have something unique. And maybe the fact that it's something that already exists isn't unique enough for me or challenging enough. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I I know it's it's a great community project, and it's uh, you know if if you have a list of all the YouTube videos video ideas you want to do, then uh, it's probably very high up on the list to just build a, a hypercube or something. But for me, as a as a three D printer user, again, like I, I just have too many machines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, I well probably all of the plans are available open source. You so even though. If you wouldn't build 
exactly one of those. You could still use those as, as a reference for, for good ideas and customize them to your own needs. Either make it bigger, yeah. make it smaller, make it more sturdy and, and things like that. So well, most of the time, if if I if I do have to work through somebody else's CAD files, I I always find that uh, it it takes a lot of time to to get into how things work together and how things well mesh together how they how they mm. work um, to to modify it. And it, you know, if you really want to start modifying stuff, I think you need to have built it before uh, to understand what you're what you're trying to change and why you're trying mm. to change it. But I think it's probably still better than starting from scratch if you're if you haven't already built like two printers on your own. Oh yeah, for yeah. For, for people yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, for for me, I mean, I've, I've I've built more than two printers on my own <laughs> from scratch. <laughs> All right, um, I think that answers that question, and I think that's that's actually everything for today. Wow, how long did we record? One forty. One forty. I guess people need uh, again. People need stuff to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, Tom. Let's let's see how well this uh, this setup worked out. I mean, I still have some some editing to do. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a little bit different today, probably for the viewers and listeners. Uh, well, well, let's hope it's not gonna be. Ho I hope it's not gonna be. It's it's a little bit different behind the scenes. Um, but it might just make the whole workflow for us a little bit easier in the end. Yeah. We'll see, we'll see. That would be the dream. Yeah. So anyway, Stefan, uh, thank you for taking the time this week. Thank you, Tom, for being that patient with me, <laughs> for, for <laughs> postponing that uh, recording date um, over oh, and over oh, right, again. Right, right. Uh, I'd already forgotten about mm. that. Come on, man, family first. <laughs> Thank you, listeners and viewers, for staying that long. Uh, yeah, leave your questions down below if you want us to talk about them. If you want to support us, there are both of our Patreon links down in the description. And I guess we'll see you, hear you in the next one. Right. Goodbye. Goodbye.